0: You can turn in your copy of God's Word to the third chapter of Galatians. We're going to be starting in verse 10 today. Galatians 3, starting in verse 10. A couple of weeks ago, I quoted from uh, a classic theologian named John Newton. He was a Puritan pastor. Um, And I want to share with you another uh, quote from John Newton this morning that I, I thought about using that week, Uh, But it didn't fit as well. But I said, this is too good. I'm going to store it. I'm going to need it later. And wouldn't you know it, I needed it today. That John Newton said, when I get to heaven, I shall see three wonders there. The first wonder will be to see many people there whom I did not expect to see. The second wonder will be to miss many people whom I did expect to see. And the third and greatest wonder of all will be to find myself there. Heaven is interesting. Um, We talked already this morning about uh, Billy Graham passing on before us. And I was talking to my mom earlier this week. And I said, you know, I cannot speak for anyone's salvation but my own. I don't know anybody's heart but my own heart. Um, I know what people say and I can see their lives, but I cannot definitively say that anyone knows the Lord Jesus Christ other than myself because I have to take other people's testimony. But I said, do you know, if there ever was such a thing as a safe bet, (laughs) I feel like Billy was probably a safe bet. I wouldn't be surprised to see Billy in heaven, but what I think is one of the reasons I wanted to pull this John Newton quote is when he said, I'll see a lot of people there I didn't expect to see, and I'll miss many people I did. How many of those people do you think that John Newton expected to be there also expected to be there themselves? That they took stock of their lives, maybe at the end of the day they laid down and they prayed a prayer that was very much like one of the Pharisees in a parable that Jesus told of the two men that went up to the temple. That Maybe they laid their head on their pillow at night and they said, oh Father, I thank you that you have not made me like the rest of them. That today I, I got up and I put on my nicest clothes and I went to church. I even took my Bible." I put some money in the plate and I came home at the end of the day and I felt good. Or maybe, Jesus, I thank you that you have not made me like the rest of them. That I got up and I went to work today and I made a paycheck to support my family. I put food on the table. I even only cussed at my co-workers once. Or maybe I didn't cuss at them at all you know listed all the good things they did and listed all the bad things they didn't do and laid their head down on the pillow at the end of the night and said i did good today god until maybe one day they close their eyes and they lay their head down on the pillow for that last time and they stand before the god that they've spent their life telling him how good they've excuse me how good they've done and they say but God, didn't I do this? And 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 the Lord Jesus Christ looks at them and says, Depart from me. I never knew you. It's not necessarily what you know. It's not not what you did. It's not what you know. It's who you know. And Paul has been... Getting on to the Galatians this entire book so far because someone has tricked them. Someone, demons involved, based on last week, you know, who bewitched you, who enchanted you to to think this, to not obey the truth. Someone has convinced the church at Galatia that it's about what they do. It's about how much you do. It's about how hard you try. It's about how clean you keep yourself. And Paul is trying every which way to Sunday to get them to realize this was never about you in the first place. It's not about the work you do. It's about the work that's been done for you. And he's going to take it a step farther today. And he's not not telling them that obeying the rules, quote-unquote doesn't just gain you nothing. It actually places you squarely under a curse. So, uh, if you will stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word, we're going to read verses 10 through 14 in the third chapter of Galatians. Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse... For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Father, I pray that you would free somebody from the curse here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. A cursed life. Would you prefer to be cursed or cursed? Blessed. Now, when I say cursed, I don't want you to think of it in, you know, that the the, the southern way we pronounce the word, where we pronounce the word cursed, C U S S E D. I'm not saying you want to be cussed. I'm saying do you want to be cursed? And by God no less. Well, let me tell y'all something. When God puts somebody under a curse. That's a, pretty, that's a pretty rough curse, isn't it? Well, God's done it throughout Scripture. In fact, if you want to see the first and most destructive curse that God put anybody under, you can go to Genesis 3 and you can see all of humanity being put under the curse because we disobeyed God. We are still feeling the effects of that curse today, are we not? Anytime you go to a funeral... You see the effects of the curse. Anytime you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you see that you're a day older than you were before. Maybe you found a gray hair that wasn't there before. Maybe there's a wrinkle there that wasn't before. Maybe your skin doesn't heal as quick as it did before. That's the curse. It's working on you. Your body's degenerating. It's aging. It's getting older. All of us, we're all under that curse. When God puts somebody under a curse, it's serious. So when Paul says in verse 10, as many as of the works of the law are under the curse, we need to look at that pretty seriously. Because we don't want to be under a curse of God. I want us to just look today at two options that God has given us. You have the option of living a cursed life, or you have the option of living a blessed life. It's totally up to you. You can have it whichever way you'd like. It all comes down to a simple decision. Which would you rather have? So first I want us to see that to live under the law is to live a cursed life. Look at verse 10. Paul says, As many as of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now, Paul has already established kind of a working set of distinctions in the book of Galatians. There are those who live by faith. That would be Christians. That would be those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. They live by that faith. And there are those who live by the law. These are the people that, for all intents and purposes, if you were to see them on the street, you might think they're a Christian. They may behave morally the same way. They may speak the same way. They may work the same way. They might eat the same foods. They might go the same places. Externally, they look the same. But the big difference between a Christian and this false Christian is a Christian uh, is obeying God out of love. Because there's already a relationship with God. Therefore, they derive joy from serving Him and obeying Him. That's the Christian position. The fake Christian position is one where I'm obeying these rules because I'm trying to gain a relationship with God. It all boils down to motive. Now outside, they might look the same. On the inside, they're totally different, to the degree of one being alive and one being dead. Paul has been working this distinction the entire. In verses seven and nine, he talks about those who are of faith. We talked about this last week. Paul said, therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. Verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Uh, That Abraham is kind kind of an example in the Old Testament of someone whose relationship with God and whose blessing from God is based on his faith. That God, out of the blue, calls Abraham and says, Abraham, get up and go to a land that I'm going to show you. And I'm going to give you lots of descendants. And I'm going to bless you. And all the world is going to be blessed through you. And Abraham gets up and goes. Having seen none of the promises come to fruition that God promised him. Abraham gets up and does it anyway. He does this because he believed God. And what happened? As a result of that belief, Abraham was blessed. Abraham didn't follow any rules before God called him. He believed God, and then that led to his obedience. That's what it looks like to live by faith. But in verse 10, Paul starts to outline those who live by the law. He said, those who are of the law and not of faith, they're cursed. They're not blessed. Because the law itself says that's the way it works. Uh, Paul uh, quotes from the Old Testament... Uh, that would be Deuteronomy twenty seven twenty six. if you want to write a note in your margin. That's what he's quoting from. Uh, where the law says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. <clears throat> Here's why Paul says people who are under the law are cursed. Now, is, is Paul saying that the law itself is a bad thing? Did God give a bad thing? No, absolutely not. There's nothing wrong with the law. So why why are those who are under the law under a curse? Here's the way this works. The law, according to itself, is to be kept in its entirety. Now, I don't want to say the law and and misdefine this. I'm always trying to be clear about this. When I say the law, I'm not talking about the state of Georgia penal code. Okay? Um, When I say the law, I don't mean... What the state of Georgia or the United States or the United Nations or whatever determines the law to be. That's not the law Paul is talking about. When Paul is talking about the law, he's talking about the, the rules that God gave his people in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was the measure to God's ancient people as to what made them righteous and pure in order to be able to come before him. And the law itself dictates that you got to keep all of it. If you're going to keep it, you got to keep all of it. The law is to be kept in its entirety. Those who do not keep it in its entirety are cursed. That's the result of not keeping it. But, does anyone under the law, has anyone managed to keep it entirely? I can think of one person. We're going to get to that in a minute. But, of people... Who are not the son of God himself. Can you think of anybody. Who has perfectly kept the law of God. What is it, what, what's the best explanation. What's the, big, the most common excuse. For when a flaw is pointed out on somebody. Say well. You know there's, th- this is the problem. Well nobody's perfect. There's only one problem with that. There is somebody who's perfect. And he happens to be the judge of all the universe. There is someone who's perfect. And he gave a law to humanity and expects humanity to be perfect. And if we're not perfect under the law, we're under a curse. Because anybody who doesn't keep the law in its entirety is cursed. Cut off from him, separated from him, apart from his blessing, apart from his love, apart from. Y'all, the law has no mercy. You understand? The law law of God in the Old Testament, there's, there's no mercy there. Either you did it or you didn't do it. And if you did it, there's a penalty. If you didn't do it, there's not. There's no room for wiggling there. So if you break the law, you're under a curse, period. But then Paul says in verse 11, But that no one is justified by law, and the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. If you've got footnotes in your Bible, you'll know that this is a quote from Habakkuk 2.4. Why does Paul quote Habakkuk 2.4? If you go look at Habakkuk 2.4, you'll find that this is one little blurb in the middle of a chapter where the prophet Habakkuk is outlining all the sins of the people in the land. People being cheated, people being murdered, people being just being evil people. But in the middle of all this, you've got, but the just shall live by faith. Faith in what? Well, God has just said, I'm coming to deal with this. So the people who believe God's word, the people who believe that God deals with sin, it is their belief in God. It is their faith in who he is and how he deals with sin that drives them to obey him. It is not a rote obedience to the law. The law did not provide righteousness in Habakkuk. The law is not going to provide righteousness in Galatians. And the law does not provide righteousness today. None of you in here, myself included, none of us in here, none of us can obey God well enough to satisfy Him. None of us. It doesn't matter how hard you try. It doesn't matter how hard you've tried. You cannot obey God enough to satisfy Him. He, you will have never done enough for God to be pleased with you just based on you. You cannot do it. Say, well, pastor, even if I... You can fill in that blank however you want. If you're trying to do that, then you are one of those folks that Paul says you are living under the law. You are trying to please God by being good. Paul tells us in verse 11 that the just live by faith, but in 12 he tells us that the law is not of faith. The law has nothing to do with faith. The law is the man who does them shall live by them. That's a quotation from Leviticus 18.5. This is the total difference between faith and the law. The law is doing without belief. Think of it this way. Let's say you're riding down the road. There is nobody anywhere you can see in front of you, and there's nobody anywhere you can see behind you. You are all by yourself on the wide open road. The speed limit is 35. But you're in a hurry. And so you put the pedal to the floor, and you begin cruising at the nice easy pace of 70. 70. There's nobody in front of you. There's nobody behind you. Assuming you feel like you're a great driver and you're no danger to yourself, do you believe you're going to hurt anybody? There's nobody else on the road, is there? Except for that cop that was on the side of the road over the hill that you just went over. And you come over that hill and the first thing you hear right over your you're feeling good gospel music you're listening to is you hear something go, woo! And you see the the Christmas lights come on behind you and the cop pulls out and you find out that 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 Dodge Charger can move just as fast as you can. And so you start slowing down and you pull, I promise this is hypothetical. You pull over on the side of the road and the cop pulls up behind you. And he gets out and he says, sir, do you have any or ma'am? Do you have any idea how fast you were driving? And the first words out of your mouth was, but I wasn't gonna hurt anybody. There's nobody else on the road. Does that cop care? No. The law doesn't have any care of whether or not you believe the reason that it was made. The reason that law was made was to protect other people on the road. You don't believe you've got to protect anybody else on the road because there's nobody else out there. But the law doesn't care whether or not you believe it. The law just is. Either you obey it or you don't. If you live by the law, you can live by the law and you cannot have an ounce of belief in your heart. You can keep the rules and be just as cold toward God. Matthew twenty three twenty seven through 28 Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteousness to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness." Now these are the Pharisees. These are the scribes who made a professional career of being rule keepers. When you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, do you see a rule keeper? Do you stress yourself over whether or not you're a rule keeper? Because you can look like you're keeping all the rules on the outside, but that doesn't tell you anything about the state of your heart on the inside. How about this? Luke 18, 18 through 23. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Now is Jesus God Yes, therefore he is good. But Jesus is trying to make a point. He's saying be real careful young'un about who you call good. You're throwing that word around good like there are lots of good people. So before he even asks his question, Jesus says, hey, remember now, God's the only good one. So before you tell me that you're good, you've got to ask the question of whether or not you're God. Because if you're not him, you're not good. Then Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Pause just there a second. Most of you know the Ten Commandments. You should immediately notice which ones Jesus didn't say. He didn't say anything about coveting. That has to do with the heart. He didn't say anything about not making any idols. That's that's about the heart. He didn't say anything about having no other gods before him it has to do with the heart he didn't say anything about keeping the Sabbath holy that has to do with the heart these are all the commandments that you could have looked at this young man and seen him keeping and the young man predictably says all these things I've kept for my youth so when Jesus heard these things he said to him you still lack one thing Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, sorrowful, for he is very rich. Jesus attacked every other one of those commandments. He didn't want to have less than others. Covetousness. He didn't want to let go of his money. He had a God higher than him. He didn't want to let go of his gold. That was his idol. And I can bet somebody who was that, that rich, who was that obsessed with not giving their money away, how much you want to bet at some point he probably worked on Sabbath? Now that's a guess. I can't tell you that he did. But I know that that's not a commandment that Jesus mentioned. So it leads me to ask Why? This guy was good at keeping all the commandments on the outside. But when he came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to live forever? Jesus said, there's a problem with your heart. Your heart needs to be changed. And changing stuff on the outside can't do anything about it. 1 Corinthians 6, uh, the first half of verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Pair that with Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is none righteous, No, not one. So if only the righteous inherit the kingdom of God, but there are no righteous, that means none of us are entitled to the kingdom of God, doesn't it? None of us get to go to heaven based on how hard we worked, or what we did, or what we didn't do. That we don't get to stand in front of Jesus and show Him all of our goodness and say, I earned it. Now, there are two points of application that I want to, to, to go here before moving on. One of them is to non-Christians, and that's the clear application. If you're here today and, and you don't have saving, a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, let me say to you, if whatever you are doing on a daily basis, if you're doing good or not doing bad and you're doing just enough to kind of assuage your conscience, I want to just blow that up and have you leave here with your conscience in a wreck. Because whatever you're doing, you haven't done enough. Whatever you haven't done, you've still done too much of. You can't do enough to please God. You can't stay away from sin enough to keep Him happy with you. You've already failed. You need the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Which, praise God, Paul doesn't just end with verse 12. We get 13 and 14. You need 13 and 14. There's hope for you that has nothing to do with you. But I want to talk to you just for a minute, dear Christian. There's something here for you too. If you've come to Christ, you already knew the basis of this. You already knew that you weren't saved by your own work. You already knew that you were saved by the work of Jesus Christ. But once you get saved, isn't it easy to default back to thinking that if you don't do enough good, God's going to get upset with you? Isn't it easy for you to say, oh my goodness, I did something I shouldn't have. Now God's not going to bless me today. You know, I've, I've heard people say this before. That they're Christians. I, it, it, as much as I can tell by their testimony in their life, they're Christians. But it's just kind of a, a local or regional part of the vernacular that something good will happen and they'll say, oh, I must have been living right. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Say, like, I must have been living right today. And every time I hear that, my theological heart kind of catches in my chest and I sink a little bit. Because like, that's bad theology. That's real bad to start talking that way. Christian, do you know why God blesses you? Because He loves you. Because He wants to. You know why God loves you? Because He does. Period. Full stop. End. You're His. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, then guess what you have the freedom to do? Relax in the pleasure of the God of the universe. You can have peace. There's nothing left for you to earn. There's nothing left for you to do. You obey Him because He loves you and because you love Him. That's why. God likes you. Really. And y'all, I'm a pastor. And, and even my human heart can struggle with that sometimes. A lot of times, actually. And I need to preach the gospel to myself and remind myself that God doesn't love me because of what I can do for Him. That's a stupid idea. It's foolish to think that I have something to offer God. God doesn't need me. He wants me. There's a difference. He doesn't need you. He wants you. There's a difference. Enjoy your relationship with him that he purchased. Not that you did. Who gained your relationship with God? Him or you? He did. So if you didn't gain it, how in the world are you going to lose it? You're held securely in His hand. He loves you. He died for you. Do you think He's going to let you go that easy? Do you think He's going to turn His back on you that easy? No. You need to go home with joy today because God loves you based on what Jesus did. If you're under the law, you're under a curse. But praise God, you don't have to be under the law and under the curse. You can live under Christ and live a blessed life. Look at verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. I could stop right there and just have church just with that half of that verse. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Say, well, Josh, you tell me I'm under a curse. What do I do about it? You can't do anything. Jesus did everything. The curse that you were under, He came and took that one on the chin for you. The curse that you should have suffered, He suffered for you. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now that verse, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to miss it. That's actually from Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 23. Again, you've probably if you've got footnotes in your Bible, you probably have that one. But I, I want to read, actually read this one to you. Because there's, there's more than just quotes. Well, hello, Bible, help me out. Twenty one twenty three. Verse twenty two, actually starting. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. Now, had Jesus committed a sin deserving of death? No. Who had? We did. And I find it so funny that the Pharisees, the party that crucified Jesus, was in a hurry to get him off that cross the end of that day because of Deuteronomy 21-23. through It was the day of preparation, so they wanted to get him off that tree because his death, they thought, would defile the land. You want to know what the irony of that is? His death purified us all. Jesus took all of the curse that we deserved. He took it on Himself so that in Him the curse no, in him, the curse no longer applies to us. We're free. You read the Old Testament. You read the law. Don't even read the rest of the law. Read the Ten Commandments. That's enough to keep you up at night. You know, you were, you're in bondage to that. That the minute you break one of those, the penalty of breaking the entirety of the law rests on you. Or it did until Jesus took it. In Christ, you're free. Why did He do this? 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That without Jesus' death, it is impossible for us to receive the blessing that God has for us to get. Why? Because God can't bless somebody who's cursed. Now, I, just, I just thought about this. Do you remember, maybe you do, do you remember the old, uh, you remember Balaam the prophet, famous for having a speaking donkey? You remember this guy? If you had never, go home, go home and Google Balaam. Or go home and, and index Balaam and go read his story if you've never read that. It's worth it. Everybody remembers the donkey, but they don't ever remember the rest of his story. That he gets paid to go up. This other king wants to pay him to go up and curse God's people. Because he sees them and he's terrified of them. And Balaam goes up there and for several times... He gets paid to curse them, and he stands up there and prophesies blessing over all of them. And the king said, I paid you this many times to curse them. And Balaam said, I told you when we get started, I can't curse somebody that God has blessed. I can't overrule him. What Paul is saying is that the opposite is also true. You can't bless somebody God has cursed. There is no higher court of appeal. If God has blessed somebody, it doesn't matter how bad you want to, you can't curse them. And if God has cursed somebody, it doesn't matter how bad you want to, you can't bless them. If you're under the law, you cannot be blessed with the blessings that God promised Abraham. You don't have a land to look forward to. You don't have the blessing of God to look forward to. You don't have the promise of heaven to look forward to if you're under that curse. But under Christ, you're freed from that curse and all of God's blessing can now rest on you. That's the only way you can receive that blessing. Living by faith is different from law in almost every possible way. Living by law grants you nothing other than the knowledge that you can't live by the law. That's all knowing the law does for you. That's all knowing the rules does. But you know what? Knowing the rules doesn't help you if you can't keep the rules. All that lets you know is that you you can't do them well enough. But living by faith in the finished work of Christ grants you God's blessing. Living under the law puts you under a curse. Living by faith in Christ removes that curse. If you want to live a blessed life, you have to live it by faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There's no Buddha. There's no Muhammad. There's no Krishna. There's no anybody else that can grant you God's blessing. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and also verse 7, where Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in who? Christ. All the blessings that God has for you are rolled up in Christ. If you receive Him, you receive all the blessings. If you reject Him, you reject all the blessings. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. That it's the shed blood of Jesus that removes the curse of the law from you. I heard somebody teaching on the Passover one time. And it was only a couple quarters ago we were in Exodus in Sunday school, wasn't it? It was only a couple quarters ago. I heard somebody teaching on the Exodus one time. Uh, One of my favorite movies is the DreamWorks movie, Prince of Egypt. If you've never seen it, you should. I'm a 29-year-old man and I still cry when I watch that movie. But in that movie, it depicts the first Passover and the instructions that God gave his people during the Passover was you were to take a lamb without blemish According to the number of your household, you're going to keep that lamb for a certain number of days, and then you're going to slaughter it, and you're going to put its blood on the lentils and the doorposts, so that when the angel of death comes by at night for the last of the plagues before God lets springs His people from Egypt, the angel of death is going to come to the door. And when he sees the blood on the door, he will not enter to destroy But if he does not see the blood on the door, he's going to come in and he's going to kill the firstborn. And at the very end of that passage, Moses relates to us in the book of Exodus that there was not a house in Egypt without one dead. And I heard somebody preaching one day. They said, do you know that 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 was true, even in the Hebrew houses? And I was like, wait a minute. That was the whole point was that if they slayed the lamb that nobody in the house would die. But that was the preacher's point. That in that house the lamb was the one that died. That there was someone dead in every house. Either it was the lamb or the firstborn. And the upshot of his sermon was the same as true today. That there will not be any of us that there's not one dead for our sins. Either it will be the lamb or the lamb. Or it will be us. Jesus is blood. That's why He's the Lamb. That's why they call Him the Lamb of God. He is the sacrifice in our place that dies so that we don't have to. It's His blood, His redemption that frees us from the curse. And then finally, Romans 8, 3 and 4. For what the law could not do. In that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I want to invite you to respond this morning to what God has done for you. If you're here today and maybe you struggle on a daily basis, and maybe your conscience conscience bothers you, maybe you are plagued by a consistently guilty conscience and you want to do everything that you can to get rid of these guilty feelings. Do you know what will get rid of your guilty feelings more than anything else? Getting rid of your guilt. Stop trying to treat the symptoms and let Jesus treat your disease. You've got guilty feelings because you've got guilt. You really did it. You really did that thing that keeps you up at night. You did. If if your sin is keeping you up at night, then stop trying to make the feelings go away and come to Christ because guess what he does? He dies for that sin. And if you give that sin to Christ, Christ will give His righteousness to you. And when God sees you, He will no longer see that sin because that sin has been paid for. Your guilt is gone. And you know what? When your guilt is gone, your guilty feelings go away too. You can be freed from that curse. You can be free from that sin. And you can have a right relationship with God and the rest of His people. All you have to do is come and trust Him. I want to offer that to you today. You can be free from the curse. You don't have to bear that anymore. So Joyce and Abby are about to lead us in a couple verses of a hymn. You're going to have an opportunity to respond. You can come down either of our aisles and come talk to me. You can fill out the guest card on the side of your bulletin. Or you can catch me before you leave. I'm going to stop saying catch me at the back door because over the last three weeks, I don't know which door is the back door anymore. Because people go out, either of them. Catch me before you leave. I want to talk to you. I want to share the gospel with you if you have questions about how to be free. But don't leave here today. I'm going to honor Billy Graham by doing this at the end. And I'll say the buses will wait. If you need to come, you come. I'm not going to rush out of here until I know that y'all are God's done dealing with y'all. So y'all need to come, y'all come. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for freedom from the curse.